Welcome to the Flipping Real Estate Like the Pros podcast. Here you'll learn everything you need to know to be a successful real estate entrepreneur and achieve the financial freedom you've always wanted. We talk with real experts about their experiences, their accomplishments, and more importantly, how you can learn from their mistakes so you can jumpstart your business and fortify your strategic alliances. There's no BS, no fluff, zero guru talk, just real real estate knowledge. Let's get started. Hey, what's up, Alliance? It's Greg over at Flipping Real Estate Like the Pros. Welcome to the show. I have Steve Cavanaugh with me today. It's quite an awesome thing because Steve actually, he's going to tell you a little bit about his business, but I love his business model. He lives here in Florida in West Palm Beach, but his primary business is all the way up in Maryland. So Steve, welcome to the show. Greg, thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, man. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself, married kids, all that good stuff before we start diving into the real estate stuff. Yeah, man. So I'm 40 years old. I've been investing in real estate oh, for 14 years now. Um, my wife and I have been married for 13. Um, we have two kids, nine and six, and we live uh, down here in uh, Palm Beach County in West Palm Beach, Florida. Love it. Two, two miles from the beach. And uh, yeah, uh, 100% of my real estate operations are in Maryland. That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into that, Steve, how how you manage that from afar because you're you you told me our pre interview that you're rehabbing from afar, right? Yeah, um, I would say about ninety percent of our uh, flips are rehab deals, and uh, we will do forty this year. Um, and then we also we will wholesale. Now I run a coaching program where I joint venture with people on their first three deals, and we will wholesale into that local coaching program there from time to time. And then every now and again, we'll hold something out into the open market, clean it up, put it back on the MLS, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, by and large, we run the fix and flip operation. We've got a small, small portfolio of free and clear rentals. And then we also do a hard money lending operation down in Southern Maryland as well. That's awesome. So what do, you, what do your wife and kids and yourself like to do in your free time? Man, we, like I said, we live a couple miles from the beach. So yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and in fact, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a lifestyle entrepreneur. I consider myself to be so, um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've been with uh, a guy named Steve Cook for a very long time who runs oh, the life in their organization. Yeah. Yeah. He's been my mentor ever since I got started in the business before he even started life in there actually. Really? And okay. so he has grew me he grew me from the very, uh, yeah, he taught me real estate and the life and air stuff from the, you know, very, very early days, but he groomed me to set up your life first and then set up the businesses to serve the life. So that way it's not happening the other way around, which is what most people end up in. And then their life ends up in shambles and they're getting a divorce and their kids hate them and they never spend any time with them and stuff like that. And then they have to kind of go back and refigure all that out. If they, if they're blessed with the amount of time to be able to go back and do that, which most people are not. So, uh, so I'm happy to tell you that really I, I work probably five, maybe five hours a day if, uh, you know, if I have that amount of time. But I mean, I, I, uh, I'm not, I don't subscribe to like the hustle mentality. I'm not a hustler and I don't stay up until 2 a.m. every night. And, you know, I don't put off the family and stuff like that. That stuff's way more important than, uh, than the businesses and making money and all that stuff is. But when it's time for me to work, I work like a dog. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But outside of those times, you know, then I'm, I'm typically just chilling. So, um, so yeah, so what, yes. Yeah, so what do we do? We go to the beach, we go to the pool. <laughs> There's so much stuff to do around here outside. We go to green markets as a family. Uh, my daughters and girl scouts, uh, you know, my son just likes to play football out in the backyard, you know, uh, stuff like that. We go fishing. 
That's awesome, dude. I mean, so if you've got some free time on your hands and you like doing stuff with your family, do you, are you a book guy like me? Yeah, man. I love to read. I absolutely love to read. I'm, I'm Greg. I'm one of the guys that likes to read the book. I don't really like to listen to the book. If you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I do both. Yeah, man. I definitely. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I've got uh, I've got one going. Uh, several people have recommended that I listen to uh, Never Split the Difference. So mm-hmm. I've been listening to that, you know, over the past uh, week or so. But but yeah, other than that, man, I'm really a, a book reader. I like to listen to podcasts, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, man. What what good books have you read lately? I just read for like the fifth or sixth or tenth time. I don't even know. I uh, just finished up uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie because we're looking to build our yeah, team. Yeah, very and- good. And, and build our, mm-hmm. our group. So we're, you know, that's a, that's an amazing mm-hmm. book. It, I, I learned something new every mm-hmm. single time I read or listen to that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's a good one. It's, 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 it's ridiculously good. <laughs> so, yeah, I think one of the things in there that, that, you know, the, probably like one of the biggest takeaways in that book is, you know, if you help enough people get what they want, then you're always going to get what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, that type of thing. And um, I mean, that, that truism has played out so well in my experience with my coaching program. I mean, here I've kickstarted the careers of 35 people. Um, and I mean, it's just brought so much, so many deals to me, so many opportunities to me that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to enjoy. And it's all helping somebody else in the process. You know, they're earning while they learn and while they learn you're earning utilizing their time you know mm-hmm. out in the field and doing the deals and stuff like that and it's just a great win-win situation uh you know win friends and influence people there you go yep i love that book so much and, I, and honestly i don't read yeah. enough i probably sh- i was thinking to myself as i was listening to the audiobook on sunday when i was doing our uh, doing the house chores and stuff i was saying to myself man i feel like i should read this book every day <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's so <laughs> right to what we do because yeah. everybody says, oh, you're in real estate. I was like, no, actually, we're really more so any, than anything in the people business. I know that that sounds cliche, but I mean, real estate, whether it's mm-hmm. investing, real estate agents, lenders, uh, title, you are in the people business. You're solving people's problems and helping them. And what better book than how to win friends and influence people to, to guide you through the principles of that? I completely agree. It's not, it's not about real estate. It's about people. I tell all my new students that all the time. You got to got to work with all different types of people. You know, for sure, man. So, Steve, you've been doing it for fourteen years. How exactly did you get introduced to yeah. real estate investing? So, my story goes a little something like this. Um, out of college in '99, I had a degree in communication arts and a minor in jazz guitar performance. So, basically, I had a lot of fun in college, and my my <laughs> tests weren't that hard. But um, and I came out of college and I knew somebody who knew somebody and I got a job in the IT field, which had nothing to do with anything that I studied in school, but that's okay. And I very quickly got myself in a situation where I was working a nine to five job, which really was more like nine to six or nine to seven, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I had an hour commute each way and I just really began to hate life. You know, I just began to live that paycheck to paycheck lifestyle uh, I was, you know, putting car payments on credit cards and, you know, all that good stuff that you could do fresh out of college, not knowing any better. And I very quickly realized that, you know, if I was going to be free, I was going to have to buy my freedom. And the way that I was going to do that was to start my own business. So I investigated a number of money-making opportunities during those four years that I was working that job, working for somebody else. And one of the things that kept coming back was real estate investing. 
Okay. And um, um, the, one of the one of the um, advantages of having an IT job is uh, this was a government IT job too. I wasn't working for the government, but I was working for a contractor that had a contract with the government. And um, one of the benefits is there is a lot of downtime on the job that you're so you're getting paid there. You got an internet connection and you got a computer. So okay. one of the things I was able to do was research all these different money making opportunities during that time. And one of the things that kept coming back is real estate investing. So one of the real estate investing websites that I kept going back to was this website called flippinghomes.com. Okay. And this was back in uh, the early 2000s. And if you remember back then, uh, it was kind of like the bigger pockets of its day. It was before right. bigger pockets was around, or at least before it had gotten big. So Flipping Homes, well, at, at, in its heyday, was one of the largest real estate investment websites on the internet, along with CRE Online and some others. Anyway, the guy who started this website, Flipping Homes, his name was Steve Cook. And okay. he, at the time, lived in Baltimore, which I came to subsequently find out. And he used to do these things called real estate investing boot camps several times a year. And that's where he would, you know, get everybody to come on up there. You pay, I don't know what it was, a thousand bucks or something like that. And then it was like a three-day event, two days in a ballroom, you know, lecture format. And then one day out in the field where you would go around and see the projects that he and his coaching students were working on, things like that. So I went to one of those. I scrounged together the money to be able to do that. I went to one of those. I learned um, a lot. Uh, uh, you know, and it was one of the things I, I really didn't want to put up the money to go do it. I didn't know, is this a sham? Is this real? Is this fake? You know, all those questions that newbies tend to ask themselves. But I went anyway. I went out on faith and I went and I did it. And I, I really took a liking to this man and, and what his what he was doing. I thought he was operating with really good ethics and he, he was just a just a super guy. So I took what he taught. I came home. I put it into practice. And <laughs> this almost seems surreal to be telling you this, but um, I did my first wholesale deal where I flipped two lots to a local builder and I made over $100,000 during that deal. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Yep. So, so I took that ahead. money. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. You probably want to ask some questions about that. <laughs> well, no, we'll get into that in a minute. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Well, I was just going to say, I took, I took that money and I rolled that into my first rehab deal. And then I made 62 grand on that first rehab deal. I took it as a sign from God that I should be involved in this business. And here I am <laughs> 14, 14 years later, uh, still doing the same thing. So, Awesome. Let's dive into that first deal. How did you find it? Yep. How, did it how did the negotiations go? Like, Let's dive into that first ever deal you did. Because again, most of our listeners of the podcast are brand new and looking to get started. Sure. So I'll tell you the whole story. Stop me if you need to. Uh, what what I was doing during this period of time when I was ramping up and I was learning and I went to the seminar and, you know, all these things, um, I, I sought out a local mentor, which I think is something that everybody should do. Um, and I came across this woman who a friend of mine, uh, he had had known through his network and a friend of mine was also interested in real estate. So we decided to, hey, let's go mentor with this woman. She owned a loan brokerage and she owned a real estate brokerage. And she was old school. She's an older woman. She had been in real estate her entire life. And she uh, knew everybody in the local market there who were players. And, and uh, she really took a liking to us. So what we would do is on our lunch break, we would go over for just to sit with her for like 15 minutes at her desk and she would just, and she loved it. She called us her young entrepreneurs and mm -hmm. she was this old lady and she would just sit us down and just tell us all these different ways that she's made money and all this stuff. So 
this is now you gotta we gotta go back to 2004 2005 time frame i don't remember the exact date but this is when everything was really hot and uh builders were, were buying stuff like crazy they couldn't get enough lots because they were just popping houses up like hotcakes and and it was just like there just wasn't any inventory and uh, everybody was just jumping all over each, themselves to get deals so uh what we did is we went over to her office one day and he said hey guys there's this neighborhood that is kind of on the outskirts of town here a little bit that the builders are going to be looking into. If we can pull some lots out of this neighborhood, then uh, we would be able to uh, essentially flip these to some of these local builders I know that want that are want, want lots like crazy. And so I said, okay, what do we need to do? And she said, well, here's here's the tax map and here's the tax record. And back then we had like these big books, you know, it wasn't all online and everything like it is now. You just like buy a list and it's easy. Uh, so we went through the books and we found the lots that did not have any square footage built on them. So we assumed they were vacant and we just simply sent the mailing to the um, to the neighborhood. And it's nothing like we would do this that these days where we would track them and we would do multiple mailings and all that stuff. I, I, we just did a single mailing as as crazy as that sounds. <laughs> um, and just, just sat there and I don't want to say waited because I don't, I don't believe that I waited, but you know, I was, I was looking at listings and talking to realtors and, you know, things like that. I, I really always wanted to rehab houses from the get go. So, you know, this little excursion and sending out these mailings for this lot was just kind of a side thing that, uh, that I was just following her advice on. Anyway, fast forward, I want to say six, eight months or so, I got a phone call from this older gentleman. And he said, hey, Steve, I got your letter here. I don't even know if you're still interested, but I've got uh, not one of these lots, but two of these lots in this neighborhood, and I've, I'd like to sell them. And as he's talking to me on the phone, I pull up the Internet, and I'm pulling up the uh, neighborhood there to see what these lots are going for. And I see very quickly that they're going for around 105 apiece. And so I said, what are you looking to get for them? And he, he, said, uh, he said, oh, I don't know. I, th I think I want to get, you know, what they're assessed at or whatever, which, uh, which is around 32.5. And I said, okay, is that, uh, is that a piece or is that total? He said, no, that's, that's a piece. I said, okay, all right. And I'm thinking when I've got him on the phone, wow, this seems like a really good deal, but I don't know what I don't know. This is my first <laughs> deal. I really don't know anything about it. So I said, I did what any self-respecting newbie would do. And I said, sir, let me take down your information, write down the address of these lots. And I'll do a little bit of research and I'll get right back to you. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I did. Right. So, you know what I did? I hung up with him and I picked up the phone and I called this woman. Her name is Irene, my local mentor. And I said, Hey, Irene, uh, I've got this gentleman who wants to sell me these lots. Remember when we did that mailing? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, he wants 32 five for these lots. And she goes, you better buy them. <laughs> Just like that. And so, you know, I did what any, self-respecting newbie would do in that situation. And I started with all this doubt. I said, well, well, hold on a second. I, I, I can't. I've got like $3,000 in a checking account. I, I have no, no way of buying these lots, you know? And she just cut me off. She said, stop. She said, can you get this gentleman into my office? Will you come? And the three of us will meet this Saturday morning at 9 a.m. or whatever it was. She said, I will have the paperwork prepared. I will take care of, you know, we'll, we'll, don't worry about the money. I ask that that will all come together, but we need to get him in here to sign the paperwork. I said, yes, I can handle that. I can do that. So I hung up with her. I called him back. I said, sir, I'm interested. Would you, would you mind meeting me and my real estate agent in our office this weekend? And next thing you know, we were sitting there signing a contract and I had no idea what was going on. So what we <laughs> did is we wrote those contracts. <laughs> 
we wrote those contracts contingent upon a passing perk test, which just really quick for anybody that's not aware, a perk test is where they dig up the soil and make sure that you're going to be able to put a septic system underground there uh, so that you'd be able to flush the toilet and the effluent will go out and uh, drain out in the yard. So um, basically, if they passed, we were obligated to buy. If they did not pass, then we were not obligated to buy these two lots. So uh, again, my friend and I were uh, partners on this. We were and what I did is I had him go ahead and pay for the perk test because I didn't have any money. And I think the perk tests were like 1200 bucks or something like that. So for me, it was totally a no money down deal. And they passed. And Irene, on the other end of the deal, broke out her big old three or four inch phone book, you know, because everything was phone books, especially to an older woman in the, in the rural real estate game. She calls her local builder friend, one that she thought would, would like this lot, calls him up and says, hey, I've got... I've got this uh, young guy's got these lots under contract. They want to sell them to you. We negotiated prices, sell each of the lots to him for 95K uh, contingent on a passing perk on the other side. We had contracted those right before we did the perk test. Perk test passed, and uh, I stopped by her office on the day of the perk test. I said, hey, our lots passed. She picked, breaks out the phone book. She calls the guy up. She says, hey, your lots passed. <laughs> you know, so it was good to go. And uh, next thing you know, and that was back when we could do a dry double closing. So that's exactly okay. what we did. So we, we used the end buyer's financing to fund the A to B. And then obviously we sold B to C with his money. And the check that dropped out was 101 $101,363.50. $101,363.50. Now, my partner in it was a 40, 40% partner, okay? And I took 60 for kind of organizing the whole thing and handling it all. Mm -hmm. uh, so that entire check was not mine, but it was still a very impressive check to get out of settlement nonetheless. And I copied that check and I carried that around with me for a couple of years afterward. That's <laughs> so, awesome, man. Yeah. I was going to yeah, ask man. if you had it framed somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do actually have it framed somewhere. It's in a drawer or a closet or something somewhere. Yes, I do. I had it on my wall for a while. Yeah. yeah. So I want to touch on two quick things there for the Alliance to go back and listen to that whole thing. First off, you can't do those dry closings anymore. <laughs> Uh, you can't use a C's to mm -hmm. yeah, right. transaction. So don't ask your title company to do that. And the second thing is like, don't expect your first deals to be that way, <laughs> that, that dollar wise, but Hey, you never know. You might um, just don't mm -hmm. you know, go with the expectation. You're going to make 50,000 bucks on, on your first technically two deals. So, but <clears throat> it happens, right? I mean, obviously you're living proof that that can happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. That's a great story. I love that. Isn't that fun? It's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, story. Uh, I, I've talked to a couple of different people on the podcast and, and, and if you're in the lot business for developing uh, where you can find lots for developers, those, that is where some mm -hmm. of the best wholesale fees I've seen come from. Um, because yeah. land is, someone just has that land. They're just paying property taxes on it for God knows how long they've owned that property. And it's not, you can't generate yep. any revenue. So they are usually willing to sell them at a discount. Um, so yeah. It happens, but it's 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 getting more and more rare because there's not any more land in this country or the world, uh, unless you're in uh, yeah. Dubai and they're building it from scratch. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and the cool thing too is there's very low competition on the marketing side. Right. You know, if you're the wholesaler, and I mean, you know, the, there's a really good chance, especially when you get kind of on the outskirts of town a little bit. Uh, the chances are very good that you may be the only person ever to market to that person. So, you know, that, that was a big part of where the opportunity took place as well. For sure. All right. So let's start talking about how you do your business as a virtual rehabber, because it sounds like that's, that's like was your, the niche that you found in the real estate.
we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with the second half of the interview after a quick word from our sponsor. See you on the other side. Do you have a question you just can't seem to find the answer to? Need to bounce ideas off a trusted expert? Do you want suggestions on how to improve your existing business strategy and real estate investing? Or do you wish you could get advice from a real estate expert that's been there and done that? Go to gregscoaching.youcanbook.me and book a free coaching call with me today. You'll have exclusive one-on-one time to go over whatever it is you need in order to propel your business to the next level. Again, that's gregscoaching.youcanbook.me to book your free 15-minute coaching call. The niche that you found in the real estate game. Yeah, that's true. That's that's true. Um, so I have got, it starts for me with a rock star uh, operations manager. Uh, I've got, I've got a, a young girl working for me who's been with me for three years now. And she's learned, I don't want to say my business inside and out, but she's, she's really learned how to rehab homes using the model that I've used all these years. And uh, she really runs about 90% of my operations. I manage what we buy, what um, what we buy, what we buy for, and what we sell, what we sell it for, and then I manage all the money in between. But everything else she does, we have an acquisitions guy that goes on appointments, takes pictures, dumps everything back into the CRM, and then I'll make a determination as to whether that's something we want to move on or what we want to offer on or whatever, and then he'll go ahead and take care of getting the deal signed up. And uh, you know, then we have a real estate team that deals with listing the property, um, doing the open houses, you know, all that good stuff that they deal with on the brokerage end of things. And then, of course, they also help us on the buy end of things whenever we make uh, uh, offers on listed properties and whatnot. You know, they're there to shotgun off the offers and all that stuff. So, um, and then on the contracting side of things, we contract everything out. We don't have any in-house guys swinging hammers or, or maintenance or anything like that. We contract it all out. We use several different contracting crews. We operate in three counties in Maryland. So depending on what county the project is in will usually depend on which uh, contracting crew we're using. And then also which contracting crew is currently bogged down on multiple projects. You know, then sometimes we may have to bring in relief from another crew who's not as busy or whatever. So we have to kind of keep their workflow uh, in mind as well. But it really comes down to a really good in-office staff. And I would say my, my big... My biggest players are my ops manager, my main realtor, and she's got two underneath of her, and then my main contractor in the main county um, that I operate in, and then he's got five to seven guys underneath him. And those are my big players. That's how I'm able to do it. Okay. So um, I'm big on building teams, and I'm currently building our teams. How did you find those people to to start to like basically run your company for you, Steve? Um. So... I'm really big on asking people that I know and trust for referrals. So if I find, let's just say, if I find a good, uh, let's just say electrician, for example, mm-hmm. if I like this guy, his prices are always legit. He's getting his work done. He, you know, when he says he's going to get it done, he's pulling the permits, he's doing everything above board, and he seems like he's got good ethics, good morals. I'm going to ask that guy, hey, man, I need a plumber who would you recommend? And he's going to give me maybe one or two names or whatever. I'm going to guess that that guy's recommendation or referral is going to be better than the deadbeat electrician's referral, who's probably just going to refer you out to another deadbeat. So I guess what (laughs) I'm saying is find, find the people that are closest to you that have been the most effective or have the, uh, have 
have values that seem to line up with your values and then press into their network in a very slow way and always, always, always under promise and over deliver. So when the guy says he wants to be paid on Friday, if he's done on Thursday, pay him on Thursday. He's expecting to be paid a day later. You know, just little things like that. Um, you know, the other thing that I'll do is I always want my people to see me as their source of revenue. I always want them to say, man, working for, there's nothing better than working for Steve. He's easy to work with. He's always paying me. He wants to make sure that I'm being taken care of. So then they're going to take care of you. Kind of like we were talking about yeah. at the beginning of the call. Um, that's the best way to build a team, I think. And then, um, and then, you know, and then I think uh, there's a really good relationship book out there. Uh, called the five love languages, which again, it's, a, it's an interpersonal relationship uh, book that usually has to do with a man and a wife or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the case might be. But if you can figure out what people's love languages are on your team, then you can serve them in that way. And now you're starting to bring in these intangibles. That's more than just the money that they're paid or, or whatever. They're getting significant uh, out of your relationship with them as a result. And that's a wonderful way to team build and to start to kind of bring a company culture into what you do. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. Um, the five love languages is, is huge for uh, your, you know, what relationship with your husband or wife, but in all reality, it, everybody has, has their needs and wants uh, in the job place too. And the crazy thing I've learned over the years is that most people, not all, but most people are not motivated, motivated, by money. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I would, I would say the people who are solely motivated by money are probably the ones that you want to stay away from. Yeah. Um, you know, when we do, when, when we interview people that are potential prospects to come into our coaching program, we do turn down a good many people. And usually the people that I'm turning down are the people who are just seeing this as an opportunity to make more money than they're currently making or whatever the case might be. And, I want to look for somebody that wants to use real estate to better their lives in some way, you know, so we kind of ask them what's their why. And if it's really just to make money, it's probably not going to be a good fit, you know? Um, So, yeah, I would, I, I I agree with that. I'll tell you an example also, since we're on the subject of team building is like one of the things I do is my ops manager. She is very much into mission work. So one of the things that we did at the end of last year was um, I brought her down, and her and my family went down to the Keys where they had all those hurricane damage. Right. And we participated in some mission work down there where, you know, some of these folks are homeless and it's just, it's pretty, pretty rough going that they've got down there. And, um, you know, just, just doing that is a great intangible that just some Joe Schmo employer is not going to be providing for an employee. But if you can, if you know what somebody really loves to do above and beyond, you know, doing their job and getting paid a good amount for it then you can access that, give that to them, place that for them. And I mean, that intangible goes such, such a far way, a long way to uh, making that employee happy and creating that company culture. Absolutely. So Steve, what would you say was a key adjustment you've made along the way that really catapulted your business to the next level? Well, most recently, I would say is increasingly just stepping out of the operations. So one of the things that I'm guilty of and most business owners that I talk to are guilty of is they assign a task to somebody on their team. And then just as soon as they see it's not going the way that they want it to, then they jump right in and they try and fix it. Well, what you just did is you delegated a task or, or something to somebody. And then you effectively said, you know what, I don't trust you enough to finish this. You're not doing it the way that I would want to have it done. So I'm going to jump in and crap all over what you're doing. 
Well, that demoralizes the employee and sabotages the situation, and you create your cog in your own wheel at that point. So I think one of the, one of the best realizations I've recently had is that if I step back, it might not be done the way that I want. If, if I consider what I could do, do to be 100% and they're only executing at 80%, it's still going to be better over the long term if they continue to execute at 80% and I step back. Um, so that's been a big re- realization or revelation for me lately. Guys, if you guys are to the point where you are building your team and you are looking to become the leader of your organization, you guys need to go back and re-listen to what uh, Steve just talked about because he is absolutely correct. It is imperative that you do not micromanage your team. Uh, it will come back to bite you in the ass more than it will help you. Uh, <laughs> it really, it because it, 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 it just puts, it, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said it demoralizes that team member. Um, man, I had to learn that the hard way over the years um, in both my, my real mm-hmm. estate and another business from prior to real estate. You just got to let them do the thing. And if they screw up, they screw up. And you just help, you, you help them coach them like you, you know, you and I do as, with our coaching programs, you coach them through the mistakes they made and just hopefully they learn from it and don't make the same mistake in the future. Yeah. So what's the craziest deal you've ever done, Steve? Well, the one that I talked about there was, was pretty crazy. Sure. Um, um, we act, we have one right now. That's one of these, one of these Harry hoarder ones, which are always fun and interesting, but <laughs> this one, um, this one will probably be the worst hoarder house that I've ever bought. Okay. I've only seen pictures. I haven't seen it or smelled it. So I can't <laughs> add to that, but I think the pictures themselves on my computer kind of the smell emanates off the screen. I mean, they're pretty bad, but Yeesh. I would say, um, I would say there's probably five to six feet of trash in each room so almost all the way to the ceiling with just paths cut through and you know we're probably probably on that house talking about 10k plus for uh for hauling all that junk out yeah. of there. um so that's a pretty crazy one <laughs> that's a pretty crazy one um uh, i had i've had some crazy buyers uh, in particular i had one uh, who bought a house from us and like you know this is an older house and um you know, we, we had carpet down and stuff like that, but then like some of the floors creaked and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, just stuff that is character to the house that really nothing can be done about. And, you know, she threatened to sue everybody in a 50 mile radius and, you know, stuff like that over just, just little tiny things. She didn't like the way some of the screws were like the, the light fixtures were screwed in, you know, above the vanities and stuff. I mean, you know, there's only one way to do that, you know, <laughs> you know, but because they like all the little heads on the screws, like didn't line right up. She was very OCD. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was that like indicated poor workmanship or something like that. So I've had some stuff like that before happen. I'm trying to think of other stuff, but um, <laughs> this is yeah, the one I told you about. You usually stump people on. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. Usually because it's beha- we, because we, we've done enough deals in our career that we have so many to pick from usually that it's hard to pick just the one. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah, luckily, man, I've had a pretty, I mean, I'm going to knock on wood when I say this, but I've had a pretty drama-free career, which has been kind of nice. Okay. Jealous. You know, we, we haven't, <laughs> yeah, we haven't had overly dramatic, you know, scenarios happen. And anytime you've got buyers, sellers, and then all these students involved, you know, there's always a, the opportunity for that to happen. But I like to think that we lead effectively and we we try to only surround ourselves with good people, obviously buyers and sellers, you only have so much control over that. But, um, you know, everybody on our side of the team, we have plenty of control over that. And, and I just, you know, I like to think it's more of a family than anything else, you know? 
Sure. So Steve, tell us a little bit about a time that you were going through a rough patch in your business. And then what did you do to get yourself out of that, that rough patch? Well, that's, um, that's a good question. I want to say when we had the financial collapse in 2008 in the fall or the going into the winter, it was the fall of 2008 was when everybody came out and they were like screaming, you know, blood in the streets, real estate is officially dead. Um, get out of real estate. And everybody was just getting out of real estate, you know, just, just as quickly as they could. And that was a time when my business actually thrived, but it took me a while to figure out what I was going to do. Now, what you have to understand is that my market is about 35 minutes south of Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. has a ton of employment because you've got government, you've got military, you've got people coming and going every four to eight years. And there's just always, it's very transient and there's a lot of really good employment. As you well know, and all your listeners know, employment drives real estate. So I don't want to say that D.C. is insulated from national trends, but to a certain extent, it is. We still had property values right. go way up. We still had property values go way down. And we still had the plethora of people who thought that they could, you know, just, just buy a million-dollar house, even though they only made, you know, $30,000 a year. And, you know, we had all that. And we had the foreclosures that resulted from it. But the market back then in 2009, 10, and some of 11 was if you were to tell me, hey, Steve, pick out three listings off the market, what I would have picked out for you if I grabbed a random three listings would be a short sale, a foreclosure, and a rehab house. Short sale, foreclosure, rehab house. So that was the market. So what started happening was the appraisals started uh, comparing your rehab house to a foreclosure or a short sale. Well, as right. you know, as, I, as, as well as I did during that period, at that point in time, the banks just had these flood of foreclosures, so they didn't have all their asset management figured out, and so they didn't have all these, these guys over there mowing the lawn and securing the properties and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So these properties very quickly got very run down as compared to our brand new rehab house, right? So it wasn't really fair for us on this end of it, but what I, I kind of saw the whole thing happen. And as I sat back and observed the market, I think the good takeaway for your listeners is anytime something happens in the market, you know, sit, sit back and, and observe for a little bit. Don't just jump right in and, and just like everything's a-okay because those are the people that lost their shirts. You have to observe and figure out and then pick your entry point and then jump in. And, and that's what I did. So what we started doing was using ARVs that corresponded to those foreclosures and short sales because it's all they were praising for anyway, yeah. while the other rehabbers were still going full bore and they were trying to get over that when they just were, it was in this deflationary environment where that was not going to happen. And so we started pricing our retail sales at the short sale and the foreclosure uh, level. And in some cases, like five grand under, you know, just a little bit under. So think about it. You're, you're, you're a buyer, it's a husband and a wife, you're walking through all these nasty, moldy, you know, houses during the middle of the winter, it's, you know, 40 degrees outside, it's gray, it's rainy, it's kind of damp, it's nasty, it's just, you're out there looking on the weekend, and you've gone through six, seven of these houses all day long, and you see these, just, you're going through these dark houses that don't have electricity, the, the smoke alarms are going beep, you know, because the batteries are no good anymore and all that stuff. And then at the end of the day, you finally walk into my rehab house. It smells great. It's, it's warm because the heat's on, uh, all the brand new materials. And then they turn to the real estate agent. And they say, how much did you say this house was? And he says, well, oh, actually, this is listed $2,500 less than everything else that we've looked at today. It then becomes a question of how quickly can you get back to that realtor's office to sit down and write an offer on the house? Mm -hmm. And so what we did is in doing that, we intentionally rigged multiple offers 
So we wouldn't even answer when we got the first couple offers back. We would just wait because we were going to get offer upon offer within that first week or so of uh, properties listing. I mean, you've got the agents screaming at each other, hey, why won't they respond to the offer? And then you've got buyers who they get tired of waiting, so then they up their offer against themselves without you even countering <laughs> or even saying multiple offers. I mean, and that was the situation that we had during that period of time. And we, you know, who knows, we may end up kind of going back to something like that if there's a change in the market. But that was a very effective strategy that worked for me. And uh, we probably shook an extra 100K plus out of the trees over the year, year and a half that we had done that just in using that strategy. That's brilliant. I mean, that's very brilliant, Steve. I got to give you a round of applause for that one. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> that's great because I did not have to go through the last correction. Uh, that we have, the, I'm sure to say, the recession. Uh, I was not in the business. Mm -hmm. I got in after the fact. So that's a good little tip for all mm -hmm. of us when that, that correction or recession, whatever that mm -hmm. looks like in the next couple of years happens. Um, you mm -hmm. know, we all had a crystal ball, right? We could tell when that's going to be, but we just don't know. Yeah. Uh, but we've got to be, we're mm -hmm. teetering on it right now. Uh, next few years. Yeah. I agree. Wild and crazy. I agree. Um, yep. So you've, you've done a lot of coaching over the years. You've done a lot of deals, Steve. So what what do you think the, the biggest mistake uh, that newbies make when they get started? Well, it's pretty easy. They overestimate ARV and they underestimate repairs. They overestimate ARV and they underestimate repairs. If you were to get on any wholesaler's list right now, you're going to see the stuff they're sending out. And I almost guarantee you, I wouldn't even need to spend my time looking at the list. They've overestimated the ARV yep. and they've underestimated the repairs. They're going to do that a handful of times, and then they're going to come back, and they're going to say, you know what, this real estate investing stuff just doesn't work. And it works just fine if you're using real numbers. That's probably the biggest mistake that I see newbies making. I would agree with that. I got one today in my inbox. Uh, or sorry, it was yesterday. We were, we were talking about it today with the, the wholesaler. He's being with somebody. This house out in the rural area here in, in the Tampa Bay area. It's actually not even in Tampa. And they said, mm -hmm. asking price 51, firm. Yeah, okay. Uh, 20000 in repairs. And ARV of a hundred thousand, and I didn't even have mm -hmm. to get to the point of the evaluation of the ARV because he gave me that twenty thousand dollar rehab number. Sent me he sent me nice. pictures, and I was like, dude, there's no yeah. way you can get that done for twenty grand. So I didn't even bother going nope. any further. Yep. Yeah, I actually saw one of those in my inbox today as well, and it's over here, so it's not even the same one. But that's happening all over the country because I'm on list sure. down here in Florida. I'm on list in Maryland. And, you know, I network with people all throughout the country. It's happening all over the country. But just if you're out there and you're just getting started, just make sure that you're running your numbers properly. And if you are, I guarantee you, if you're a wholesaler that wants to be legit or that's going to be legit and you're using good numbers and you take that time, like we talked about at the beginning, it's called to cultivate people that have, that are operating on high ethics and morals. Uh, man, you're going to make so much money in this business. It, 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 there's just so much money in this business to be made, period and to be made in an ethical way that it's just stupid that you have to blast these fake numbers out to everybody to try to squeeze a couple pennies out of somebody who you, you know, and you're, you're going to hand a deal off to somebody who might, may or may not know any, any better. Who can, I mean, you know, they got, they got their big boy pants on, right? But the, but at the end of the day, it's that they're not going to be in business, which means you're not going to be in business, or at least you run the risk of not being in business. But if you're wholesaling out to a good stable of, of legit cash buyers that are legit and they're making money and passing the equity onto them, that's how you're going to get people coming after you for deals. Absolutely. That's how it works, man. If you know you do it the right way, 
uh, will keep you in business a lot longer than if someone that just tries to willy nilly it and, and go to a one weekend seminar and learn a little bit, right. a little bit about that. And they think that they can go do this business. Right. I'd like to ask that question, but I think one of the things that's kind of, kind of been the light bulb for me with uh, the newbies is the, the mistake they're making is they're not willing to put the work in. They're not willing to grind right. out for the very beginning. You know, I know you said you're not a hustler, but when you work, you work your butt off when you have to. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. feel that that's the mentality of newbies uh, uh, getting into the market right now because it looks so easy uh, to them. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, it's frustrating. And that has nothing to do with millennials or, uh, or any generation. It's, it crosses over <laughs> generations mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Man, I completely agree. Well, I have two thoughts on that. I think, unfortunately, a lot of the marketing, especially for the national gurus and stuff like that, is uh, put, puts it out there as something that's easy and kind of can be learned in a weekend. And then now you can go out and like make millions of dollars doing it. Right. And I think a lot of people expect that coming in because maybe that's that's how they have perceived the marketing to be, whether or not it's actually like that. But you know, it's it's easier to sell some education if if you sell the prospect on the fact that it's easy. But the other side of that coin is I've seen it happen, man. I mean, I've got a coaching student of mine who just completed his first deal. Um, uh, and I want to say that deal made around 20 grand, okay. um, which is pretty good for your first deal. That's great. And he said, and we did a debrief afterwards. And I said, okay, what did you think? He said, man, it was just a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Uh, it was a lot more of my time. It was a lot more of my resources than I thought it was going to be. I said, you know, I, I said, well, look, you did your first deal. You didn't lose money. In fact, you made 20 grand. It, are, can we agree that that's a good thing? Yeah. He said, yes, yes, yes. I said, I said, can we agree that if it was easy, then everybody would be doing it? And he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm like, okay. I said, look, man, you're, you're climbing the mountain right now. When you get to the top, you can look around and you can you can pick your niche or whatever. And then wherever you go from there, it's going to be down. It's going to be smoother sailing. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's like anything else. And there's a learning curve that needs to take place right now. You're in the midst of that. So just get yourself to that peak. And then we can kind of revisit it at that point in time. But right now, man, don't don't stop just because that was hard. You made 20 grand. You know, here's a smack in the butt. Keep going. Mm-hmm. You know? For sure. I mean, that's just the it's just the mentality you have to have. You do have to, you do have to put the work in, put the time in, to that where in a couple of years, a few years from from the day that you start, you can sit back and you can be like you said, be selective on what you want to do and what you don't want to do, mm-hmm. and you can you can live the mm-hmm. life and era life that you live and that you know I'm building towards. I'm not there yet. I'm not to the point where I can cherry pick yet. I'm I'm still in I'm in still mm-hmm. grind mode. I've only been doing this for just celebrated five years in this business. Like I got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, cause I'm building, mm-hmm. I'm building something bigger than most people even can dream about. And so that's not to toot my own horn by any means, but you know, I'm putting in the work now so that 10 years from now, I don't have to put in as much work and I can do what I want when I want and live the life I want to mm-hmm. live, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Steve, cool. any parting words for the Alliance before we get you out of here today? Man, just, uh, I would just, you know, keep at it. Um, you know, get yourself a local mentor, uh, by all means, study national stuff and get books and seminars and all that stuff, but find yourself somebody local that knows your local marketplace to work with and just have faith and trust in them. And, uh, yeah, just enjoy. It's been a good business for me and I, I love real estate and I love real estate investing and I love working with people. And if you like all those things and, and you're willing to, you know, and you're willing to, to hear a lot of no's to get a single yes, then this is the business for you. 
Great stuff, Steve. Man, I really appreciate you coming on, taking yeah, time out of your schedule. I know you got a lot of things going on, so thanks for sharing all these awesome, awesome knowledge bombs with the Alliance and myself today. No problem. I would like to say if anybody would like to download my free book that talks about that six-figure wholesale deal, uh, it's at snowbirdslipper.com. Awesome. Snowbirdslipper.com. Yep. Perfect. You've just listened to another Flipping Real Estate Like the Pros podcast. We'd like to thank you for putting your trust in us to be your guide in this exciting venture called real estate investing. If you want us to expand on a topic you heard here today, or you have a new question of your own, head on over to gregscoaching.youcanbook.me for a free 15-minute coaching call, or you can leave your question in our Facebook group, which is linked in the show notes. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, head on over to iTunes to review, rate, and subscribe to the show. Be sure to strengthen your own alliance by sharing this podcast. Tune in next week for another expert interview or a great topic. Till then, catch you on the flip side, Alliance. Alliance.